All right, symposium on Tuesday, and I'll tell you, I saw um, I saw it last night, uh, and there was some shocking uh, revelations. John was uh, right there, up front and center, uh, throughout with the promotion of it that there would be uh, witnesses, evidence, you name it. There was some shockers last night. I wrote down some notes. John Ray joins us right now, the attorney for the Gilbert family. Uh, John, welcome. Um, you, you know, I mean, listen, it, it got my attention and everything else. Uh, first off, set the sea, Maryland calls St. John's. What was it like? Well, it it was a it's a, a lovely auditorium. I you know I'm a I'm an alumnus of St. John's Law School, so I I know the place well. And my daughter goes there as as a student, so I was very familiar with it. And uh, the, the the audio wasn't as great as I wish it to be, but otherwise. Uh, we had a nice audience. We had plenty of media, and maybe finally we're getting for the first time uh, the truth out, the true message as to what really has occurred in the Long Island serial killer murders. I wrote down a couple of things, uh, not in any particular order, um, but let's go to the whole thing with the S, the estranged wife, ex-wife now, who knows what it is, with Ace Elrod. Uh, and basically, you had check records, Atlantic City, the place, something didn't jive right. You couldn't find anything regarding Asa and everything else uh, at a restaurant or hotel. Give me a sense of what that was all about. Uh, I wrote down about yeah. five or six things. That one caught my attention. Go ahead. Yeah, it should catch your attention because there's been this uh, steady pattern uh, in, the, in the media and in the public that this poor woman is a victim of her own husband and uh, that she didn't do anything wrong, whereas her hairs are found on two of the women and her daughter's hair is found on one of them. Uh, so uh, I, when, when the bail application was put in by the district attorney to the court, the, the, the DA had to lay out what he said was the evidence to make, uh, to make his case strong against Rex Horyman. And so one of the things that he pointed out right at the very beginning was that um, there was a bill from Bank of uh, AmeriCard that, uh, not a bill, a monthly statement um, that showed, he said, the DA said that Ellerup and her children were in Atlantic City when Maureen Brainerd Barnes disappeared in July of, of, uh, on July 9th of 2007. And so they couldn't have been responsible for the murders. And just like in the other three murders, they, they weren't there. They were somewhere else. They were on vacation. Right. I've always wondered how that could be and, and how, how, they could, how anybody could know when the girls actually died. Since, since uh, we know that Uriman is a torturer, that he, he really delights in torture and he watches torture uh, porn and so on. You have to keep people alive in order to torture them. And if you're going to have pleasure in that, you're going to keep them alive as long as you can. So we don't even know when these girls died and how long, how many days, and so on they were tortured. So, so the, the, the premise that he had, to my mind, already was a problem. But more importantly, in his, uh, his application to the court, the DA said that Mrs. Ellerup and the children were, had gone on vacation to Atlantic City on or about July 6th, 2007, okay. and came back on, on or about July 20th. 
If you're going to say that they had an alibi, a rock-solid alibi, you don't use the fudge phrase on or about. They were either there or they weren't. And that bothered me that he had that that was in there because that would suggest that what the DA is saying doesn't really hold true. And then he also claimed that his other source for his knowledge of where they were was Mrs. Ellerup. So that she, she talked to him. Okay, so that bothered me. So what I did is I started to call the hotels myself. And I got to the flagship hotel, the hotel where they supposedly were since July 6th, and the, uh, where the, the, the uh, statement, the monthly statement said that they checked in. Of course, what monthly statement ever shows that you checked into a place? Anyway, uh, it turns out that this was a timeshare place. It wasn't the hotel, uh, per se. It was a timeshare, which is a lot easier to check in and out without any problems. But I got to talk to the manager, and I asked the manager, do you have a record of uh, when these people came and when they left? El- the name was Ella Rupp, and I gave it to her. But she said, she looked up Hoyerman. No, she had no record of Hoyerman. She looked up Ella Rupp on the screen. I had three witnesses to this. And she said, oh, yeah, here it is right here. What, her first name is Asa. And I said, yeah, that's, the, that's her. And she said, yeah. And the charge was $37.40 or some number like that, which was, which was the charge that was entered uh, on, on that date. And she, she's looking and she says, yeah, that, that's her. She said, we have a record. She checked in on July 17th and she checked out on July 23rd. In other words, she was there. She was in Massapequa. She was not in Atlantic City. Let me ask you, though. Complete misrepresentation. Mrs. Ellerup is part of that lie. John, could she have been elsewhere in Atlantic City and then checked in uh, to that place? Could she have been elsewhere in another locale? No, no, because she's using her husband's card, the credit card. You can see all the charges she uses when she does check in. Uh, and, and remember, she is the one, as well as the DA, who affirmed that it was the flagship hotel that she checked into, not some other place. Right. So, so you, 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 it just isn't that way. And then when you look at the credit card, the charges don't start until uh, she's already checked in, or she's already in Atlantic City days later. There are no other charges there. Right. And so uh, it, she, she's, she's lying, and, and, and the record is not establishing what the DA says. Now, I don't... Greg Tierney's a great guy, as you know, and I, I, he's my friend, and he, he's a, a great DA. He's he fed the, the work that he puts into that. He doesn't do the research. He's got people in the police department who are doing that work. It's the same police department that screwed up the whole case in the first place. Well, listen, and, we get a sense of that. We get a sense of that. But let me ask you a question. Let, let me go to this other one I wrote. And then you mentioned it. I'm talking about the hats. You got a hair found on Asa. You got a hair found on the daughter Victoria, right? Uh, right. So, could could that have been uh, just through you know kind of an everyday situation uh, where you know you have a wife's hair on you? Who knows what happened? Uh, the daughter's hair landed on you. I mean, couldn't that just have been by regular circumstances? Or yes, do you see of it course it way? could have been. Of course it could have been. It, that's the key phrase, could have been. Right. Not is, not automatically was, as it seems the DA has made a grand assumption uh, about. In fact, look at where the hairs are found. In, in, in the, on, other than the belt, which is very odd that a hair is on the belt, 
the, the, the hairs of, of Mrs. Elrup and her daughter are found on the outside of the heads of the victims, okay, of two of the victims. On the outside of the heads, all of them are found there, and, and only uh, one is found on the belt. Now, think about that. Could that mean, could that mean, just like it could mean this was an accident, could that mean that some, that, that their heads were head-to-head with the victims? In other words, the heads were touching each other, which should suggest an awful lot, doesn't it, if that were true? But that's a possibility, isn't it? Well, why are the hairs all found on the heads? I mean, there could be some sort of transfer evidence that the bodies were in the car. I mean, listen. Uh, yeah, but 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 that could be that too. I I agree. It could be a lot of things, but the possibilities need to be examined with the evidence that you have. And the evidence that you have is that unusually, the the, the hair of Mrs. Elrup is on the out head of the of one victim, and the hair of Victoria is on the head of another. Not on the you know not on the hand or the or the tape or anything. It's on the head. So were they head-to-head? Was there something going on? I don't know. But it's certainly not automatically true that this was all just a matter of accident. And that's especially now worrisome, given that she lied to the DA, Mrs. Elrup, about where she was uh, and the children were, you know, when, when the Atlantic City show was going on. And by the way, I had the manager check it twice, and I had her repeat it to... What, what she found uh, to me and uh, the people that were there with me lis- listening in. So, I mean, I, it, it, you know, anything's possible. She could, but, but for her to be able to read off the screen what she could read, including the charge, uh, said to me that she, you know, this was solid evidence. Why hadn't the uh, police checked that kind of evidence? Why hadn't they vetted? Uh, no, no I, I understand what you say. I mean, I mean, let's let's remember also. Victoria was a kid at the time, so the daughter. Yeah, uh, not, no, kids are. You spend a day in family court with being fourteen-year-olds, and tell me she was turning fourteen right then. That that fourteen-year-olds don't commit crimes. They do. I, I listen. I understand. I understand. John Ray with us wrapping up the symposium from Tuesday night uh, in Queens at St. John's. Here's one that got me. Um, you had. A woman and read from a piece of paper. Uh, you were holding the paper. It was, I guess, what, what is it? I guess it was a swinger back in the day. Uh, was it her husband? It was a police officer, too. Uh, uh, they made their way uh, into Yorman's life. This one really got me because the woman stated in the car as they were heading to Yorman's house, in the back seat of that car, was a woman by the name of Karen Vergata. And, of course, we all know about Karen Vergata and what happened here. So, uh, in essence, uh, this was a... Give me a sense of that from what? 1996 it was, John? Yes, it was. And uh, this woman, she has no nothing to gain. She, she stayed... Uh, Quiet, you know, uh, she wanted to be anonymous originally uh, when she gave me the statement. And um, and then I, I, you know, worked with her for a while, and she was willing to come forward and speak to the public. Uh, her her uh, her whole demeanor, you listen to it, you listen to the details which she gave, and you decide whether she's credible or not. 
uh, I found her to be quite credible. She gave details that you couldn't really make. Let me ask you a question, though. Lie. She 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 knew what she was saying. John, why would why was why was she reading from a piece of paper? That always bothers me. It's almost like you know you put a script in front of somebody, and who knows if it's if it's on the uh, on the level or not. And that was a question that kind of popped. Why is she reading from a script? And it seemed in a very way where she wasn't sure of herself. I, I got that feeling. No. Uh, no, she's she's a she's a working lady. She's a nurse, uh, she, but but more importantly, she gave an affidavit. That wasn't a script. That was her affidavit, and she's up in front of an audience on a stage that she's never done be in her life. All right, she's she comes from another country. She speaks uh, English very uh, difficultly, and so she needed to. to it, she adopt those are her words. Okay. Of what exactly happened? That's why she was doing that. There's no other reason. She, you know, if and and by the way, she offered herself to, to, for questions afterwards by the reporters, so she didn't have any problem with, you know, going on the record just speaking herself. So, uh, you know, I don't see that as a problem at all. Okay. Uh, but but interestingly, she, you know, she claimed that Mrs. Elrup didn't was there and didn't want to have sex with her, and she thought it was because she was because, uh, you know, the the witness was black. Right. And mm-hmm. and that turned out not to be the case. And we know that because Bob Macedonio, the lawyer for Mrs. Ellerup, made a speech and said, oh, there couldn't have been any sex that took place. Mr. Ray's making this all up because uh, because Mrs. Ellerup was pregnant at the time. And of course, that perfectly ex- ends up explaining why Mrs. Ellerup didn't want to have sex with with uh, the witness. <laughs> so he actually gave us the, the evidence that was missing. And there's another little piece of evidence. Uh, she she mentioned uh, Mrs. Uh, the Lorraine, the, the lady that that gave the the statement. She mentions that there were two conscious sea conscious that were on the shelf uh, in the house when when she was there. Now you know why would you remember a detail like that? It's an interesting detail, and and so it, it tends to give veracity. But you know, did the police find two conscious? We don't know. However, when I was looking at the inventory that we could see on the films that the police were showing of when they emptied the house, there was a ceramic uh, uh, tropical fish uh, as one of the decorations that they took, and I could see it. And it, it's that tropical motif. So it's, you know, it's not an outright proof, but it's consistent with what she said. And there was something else as well that she said. She claimed that Mrs. Ellerup gave her a drink from a little bar. She wasn't sure whether it was a rolling bar or a, or a fixed bar, but it was a small bar. I, I, I don't think there was a bar in that house uh, when they emptied it. I'm not, I'm, I didn't get in there, but I don't think so from what I could figure out. Read. However, in 2010, we have Mrs. Ellerup saying in an um, uh, email that they were, doing minor, they were doing renovations inside their home. So... By, by the time the police get there, years later, that bar could be missing. In other words, there's nothing that's inconsistent. And, and, and by the, she also says something which is very peculiar, which is that, that uh, um, Hoyerman goes out in the backyard and starts a fire in a big container at 1 o'clock in the morning. Why would you have an, a detail like that and, and, and if you're making up a story? Yeah, you know, no, no. She she's telling the truth. That's so. And the, and the guy she was with was a was convicted. Uh, not convicted. He was charged with raping uh, a girl 
at, at another time, the, the evidence for that is in the New York Times. He, he wasn't a nice guy. Um, it was a problem. So I, yeah. I think she's very consistent. All right, John Ray with us, wrapping up the symposium Tuesday night in Queens. Has Ray Tanny been in touch with you over the last 48 hours? He has not been in touch with me. And, um, I, you know, the reason, one of the reasons that I, you know, went forward with that, this evidence in public uh, was because I have, since, you know, the beginning in this case, I've, I've cooperated with the police over and over. I've given them evidence they've rejected. They refused to even read the booklet of evidence that I had back, you know, years ago. Then when Ray came in I, uh, with Rodney uh, Harrison, Rodney got, you know, he, he came to my office, he, he sat down, we, we, got, we, we agreed that we'd get the tapes released to the public. That's how that happened. And, I, you know, I got cooperation. But when Rodney left after uh, my October 18th uh, dual interview with him on, uh, you know, the press conference that we had, right, right. I got no cooperation from the police again or the DA whatsoever. Three times I was stalked. I was stalked. Uh, my family was stalked. We had the evidence that, there was, that we were stalked. I have voices on tape. And three times I've asked them to call me and, uh, uh, you know, follow up. I have the evidence. They've never called yeah. me. I, when I met with detectives with Lorraine, I told them about it. They said, okay, they'll look into it. They never called me. So they Let me ask you. me fine, and I used the public. John, what about the cop, the husband of that woman, uh, read the affidavit the other day? Was he ever arrested? Because he was at the house, too, correct? Yeah, he was at the house. He's not been arrested. Uh, as far as I know, whether they even vetted the guy, I, I, I would hope they did. But um, he, he, as I said, this fellow was, was uh, arrested for raping his girlfriend or his ex-girlfriend, I'm not sure which, uh, and for various other crimes. And uh, so, you know, there's a record. And it's twice reported in the New York Times. Why wasn't After- anything cited? With Vergata in that back scene, of course, we all know what happened to Vergata. Just recently, the information came out a couple of months ago, dismembered and everything else. Why has more been made of the fact uh, of the correlation there? I have no idea. I know, you know, his, another interesting fact is that Vergata was in a car accident of some kind right. and got herself uh, busted up pretty badly. When, and and this, this woman would have known that. She had no idea of that when she gave her statement. And when she gave her statement, she said what was peculiar about Vergara in the car as they drove to Massapequa Park is that she, she was bent over and leaning to the right, uh, just like the girl, like Vergara would have been doing if she had been in this car accident. So, so you know, there's all these little details that corroborate. All right, let's, uh, let's fast forward a little bit here. Shannon's sister spoke uh, at the symposium. Uh and there's so many questions, you know, the whole Shannon Gilbert deal. You, listen, you're, you're the attorney representing the family and everything else. You know better than anyone else. Left that house uh, in a panic, the phone call, 20 minutes or so. Um, it has not yet been ruled a homicide as far as Shannon. They say she died by an accident, the marshes and everything else that were around there, like quicksand. Um, give me a sense of reaction when the sister did speak. Yeah, the audience was transfixed uh, when Stevie spoke, and and Stevie's not a you know she's not a public speaker. She's had a bumpy life, right? And you know you can feel very sorry for her. 
but she got up there with a, a, a certain degree of really sincere passion and said that she's the you know she's demanding that 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 the police classify her sister's death as a homicide it's and it, that it's 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 about time for that to happen so you know she had a, she had her powerful effect on the audience and um, you know we need this kind of thing to keep this this case alive and well and moving the way it should um, and and by the way when you say quicksand in the marsh there's no quicksand in the marsh I walked it three times but one thing is true as when the police said she wandered into the marsh I could show you at the at the the uh, symposium with photographs it's impossible to wander into that marsh even so even though no light can't get through. complete darkness John no it wasn't complete darkness the police also misrepresented that when when Shannon would have gone in the marsh if she had ever done so which she didn't but if, if it had ever been it would have had to have been after she called Brennan Brennan's call brings brings you to uh, uh, 5:30 in the morning Twilight had already occurred at 5.15. It was already light. When, when she would have been in the marsh, dawn was at, at 5.51. And Mrs. Mrs. Uh, uh, Brennan said that she could see, see Shannon as clear as day because it was already light out. Right. And she said the, 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 the light posts were already off, the, you know, the, 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 the evening lights, because it was that light out. She was able to see her. So it wasn't dark. She wouldn't have wandered in in the dark, and it would be impossible to do that anyway. The thicket is so great. For me to get in on the north side, where the thicket is thinner, because yeah. it's facing away from the sun, I, for me to get in there, I had to bring a cutter, and it took me, I could go about maybe three feet an hour to cut my way into the thicket at the same time of the year in May, yeah. uh, as when Shannon disappeared. So it, the right. police story is completely all wet in a true sense. John Ray with us. Let's wrap this up a little, because also what came out was the obstruction as far as the investigation and the claims. The former DA, right. Tom Spoda, uh, his protege back in the day, and Jimmy Burke, chief of the department and everything else. In your estimation at this point in time, what was their motivation not to see through this investigation with any disruptions? The chief of police, uh, the chief of detectives for the DA's office, uh, while the investigation first took off, was Burke. He was the de facto leader of that investigation. It was, days after Shannon's remains were found, he was appointed as chief of police of the entire department. And, and Burke deliberately suppressed the investigation with the help of the detectives he appointed. And, and, and they did it willfully and deliberately. We had uh, the uh, former commissioner of pol uh, police, Geraldine Hart, who said that Burke and Spoda deliberately drove out the, the FBI and other agencies to help them, and she couldn't explain why. I can explain why. It's a cover-up. Burke is a sexual pervert. Uh, on the, a major scale, he was covering up not only for his own work, but we know that, by the way, that w one of the girls that gave an affidavit that I had to read quickly because we had no time uh, left at the symposium, she said that she was at a crack party with Burke and that Hoyerman was outside the standing guard. And she met Hoyerman and she identified Hoyerman. So there's much more to all of this 
but the police deliberately, willfully covered up this investigation back in the day. I don't think they're doing it anymore. Now, are you telling uh, me you know, but, that Spoda went along with it because obviously he had such a strong relationship with Burke. anything Burke would do or say, this is how Spoda would kind of operate. He'd figure it out and take him out of arm's way. You're saying in that regard that was the case? Yeah, that, exactly the case. And we don't know how much further this goes, but there is a great deal of sexual perversion and sexual activities that are, that have emerged uh, like a great big uh, mass of disgusting molasses that's poured all over the institutions of Suffolk County and elsewhere that I've investigated that takes us all the way up to Buffalo, takes us out to Hollywood. Um, There's a a, a huge uh, sex trafficking uh, organizational aspect to this case that needs to be looked at that wasn't and I have looked at it, and I, you know, I don't have time to go over it now. But the symposium, if you want to look, listen to the stream, you can, and you'll hear me talk about that. So it's it runs deep. It's it's it runs wide. People from, you know, there are people who were going to that infamous club, the Oasis, yep. uh, who were involved in this. Uh, it, 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 it's it's stunning. It's remarkable. And Burke was at this at the peak of all of this. He, here he is, a sexual pervert who's not only uh, an aficionado of sex workers, but also, uh, uh, you know, of both men and women, and we now know that for sure, and and is a dead man in this case, by the way, right. we know, an Asian male. Uh, so, so, so Burke is the one that's going to therefore run the, the, the investigation uh, about the sex workers who are all dead, yeah. Under, <laughs> and, and he's also apparently he's familiar not only with Peter Hackett but with 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 uh, Huerman. Excuse me, I think we have a problem here, don't we? John, uh, I'll tell you a lot of food for thought. I can't thank you enough. I'm sure we're going to revisit a lot of this stuff. Huerman's next court date is the sixth. Uh, I'm sure Ray Tanny now has a lot to think about. Uh, with his right. staff and everything else, I, I wouldn't be shocked uh, if you had a conversation with him in the next couple of days. We'll see what happens. Uh, certainly, so many questions regarding Asa, Victoria for that matter, uh, knowing what was going on, knowing the confines of that mass Mequa home, I'll tell you. Uh, this stuff, just so many twists and turns. Uh, but I got to tell you, well done the other night. Well done the other night. Um, and we'll talk, my friend, all right? We'll talk. Yes, it's very nice of you. Thank you very much, Jay. Appreciate it. John Ray, there you go. I'd say a lot of food. A lot of food for thought.